0: welcome to hope so good to be with you today to have an opportunity to share life and the truth of god's word and his power for us you know we serve a great god who is faithful always and is with us right now working in us as we've been studying in the book of nehemiah working in us by the power of his holy spirit to rebuild our lives and restore that which has been broken through the effects of sin in our lives and so this morning i'm so glad that we have the word of god as our as our truth and our strength so i want you to do this go ahead and open your bibles up to the book of nehemiah now, as you're turning there, I want to just kind of take a moment and, and, and pause before we get into the message and address what's probably on a lot of your minds even today. Because obviously, we're starting to get a lot more information about what's happening in the midst of this pandemic. And we're getting uh, all kinds of signals from our government as far as should churches be gathering or not. And uh, let me just tell you what we are doing at Hope. We, people talk about reopening the church. There's no reason to reopen the church, we never closed. We've been very, very active and engaged in our community and spreading the gospel through your faithfulness, your prayers, your activity, and I'm so thankful for you. But we do recognize that there comes a point where where we're going to be moving back toward in-person gatherings. And I just want to throw out to you, again, I want to be very careful with my language today. Uh, We are targeting our first in-person gathering to be Sunday, June 7th. Now, a lot of things come into play as to whether or not that will take place, but we're trying to answer questions that are asked in a very appropriate way to, first of all, protect you because we love, we love you. We love all people, and we want to make sure that we do what is right, that we do it with the right precautions, the right concerns, safety, because again, listen, God is with us. We are, we are receiving teaching. We are praying. We are worshiping. We're missing being together, that's a big part of our faith, so it's important. We also look at the understanding it is legal, yes. It is, it is okay for us to do that. But again, we're not doing this. We're not wanting to come back in person because a politician said to. We're doing it because after seeking God and being led by His Spirit, we believe that there is a time to re-engage. And we're working hard on that. But let me just encourage you again, listen carefully to my words. We are targeting Sunday, June 7th. We'll get back to you with a lot of detail of how we're going to go about doing that, what we can do, what we can't do. Uh, it'll be different. Just be ready for that. But we know this, it's important because you're important. And We're going to continue with our live stream because we're reaching people that we've never re- reached before. And even now, you may be listening in from a, a distant place and watching the service and just engaging in this church body. Can I tell you, we love you and God is with you. And I just invite you this day to open your heart. Let God's word speak to you. Now, we're on week five of a study that we began that I thought was very critical to go through during this time of unknown. We're talking about, in in this coming out of a season, what what needs to change in us? What are the things that we bring forward with us? What are the things we leave behind? What is God doing in us and through us? Because through all this reflection and understanding, we have to know this. Our God is not done with us yet. He has saved us by his grace, by our faith in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He has given us his Holy Spirit, who in this study of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit, so we kind of see the the correlation of how God works by his Holy Spirit as we look at Nehemiah. But he's given us his Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, to rebuild our lives. And and can I tell you this? It's not only in God's ability, it's in his desire that, that we would come to that place where we are seeing through his faithfulness a restoration, a rebuilding, a healing, so that we reflect him, we reflect his glory, that others may know the goodness and, and love of our God. I, I was thinking as I was preparing for the day's message in Nehemiah 4, I was thinking of the words of Paul to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It's one of the verses in my life that just always encouraged me, and that is this. He said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, what hope that speaks. That God is active, God is working, and he's not done yet. And can I tell you, just as committed as Nehemiah was, as we read back in the early chapters, to go back to Jerusalem and, and and to work hard with the people there to restore, rebuild the walls and restore the gates, The Holy Spirit is equally committed to your life and my life to work in us to rebuild us. But also as we'll see as we read today, as committed as Nehemiah is in the story, as committed as the Holy Spirit is into our life, there is also an enemy of of our soul, Satan, who is equally committed to come into this process to deceive us, to disrupt it, to discourage us, and to destroy the work of the Lord in our lives. Now, we see the act of Satan around us, but in the story, we see it lived out through a man named Sanballat. Again, a type. Reminder, Nehemiah is an active story. It's a history. It is an actual story, but through it, we see lessons. We see parallels to New Testament understanding of how God works, but also in the building process, how the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But can I tell you, I'm going to spoil the story before we even start. God wins god is faithful greater is he that is innocent he that's in the world but we must understand the enemy's tactics and we must learn how to defeat him if we are going to do our part in walking out this rebuilding process so pray with me and let's dive in today to nehemiah 4 father so thankful god so excited god to know that you are working in us lord God, that you're not done. Father, we are not stuck. Lord, you didn't save us and say, just deal with it. Lord, no, you are active in our lives. Lord, until your return, Lord, perfecting in us once again, God, Lord, your original design, God, that was so messed up by by the deceitfulness of sin. So Lord, today I pray you give us discernment, you give us wisdom, you give us understanding in God's word to not only recognize the tactic of the enemy, but Lord, to stand in that place of victory because the battle's already won. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah 4, we're going to read verse 1 down through verse 9. Uh, it says this, When Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox, climbing, a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. What, what a prayer. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanbalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. One of the things we have to understand about the work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and rebuilding our lives and, and restoring those, those gaps, or we just have places where the enemy seems to gain access, we have to understand that, that opposition is, is a part of the process. Opposition is to be expected. One of the things that Jesus shared to those closest to him as disciples, the truth that sometimes we try to push away from us, he said, look, in this world there, there's trouble. There's things that are going to come against us, but take heart. He said, I've overcome this world. But he warns us throughout the word of a real enemy to our soul that we must be aware of, but also recognize not to fear because he is defeated. In fact, the Bible says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. So again, be self-controlled, be alert, be aware. That's my goal for us through this message today. John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus said this. He said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I'll be honest: I have never liked teaching or preaching about Satan. I don't want to give him any props or glory because he doesn't deserve anything. But I find in, in doing so over the years that, that it's almost two extremes when it comes to the understanding of, of, of Satan or his work in us. The first extreme is this, and that's everything's his fault. So, so it's just simple. The life is, it's all his fault, so everything bad is his fault. It has nothing to do with our own decisions or our own sin. Well, again, it's an extreme. The, the other side of that is that there's some think that he has no effect at all in their lives. He doesn't exist. In fact, the statistics are very sad about how many even believing Christians believe he even exists. But uh, as we experience in life, we recognize the effect of his work trying to deceive, to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I tell you that Satan is far more dangerous than, than the picture or the caricature or the cartoonist little horned red outfitted monster that most people think of. According to Scripture, listen to this, according to Scripture, he is the embodiment of everything hateful. He is the sum of all that is hellish and the chief spirit manipulating the violence of evil men and the viciousness of deadly disease. We see the fruit of his work all around us. We see the result of sin that that came into this world by his deception of Adam and Eve. We see it when we see the emaciated body of of a child ravaged by hunger or poverty. We see it when we we see lives destroyed by terrorism or, or the shriveled body of one dying from disease. We recognize the impact of sin or the effect of Satan when we see the hearts broken by splintered homes or the murder of the innocents. We could go on and on with examples because what they are is hell doing what hell does best, kill, steal, and destroy. But can I tell you, in those extreme cases, it's just as much we see the work of Satan when we see people who've lost hope or people who have been reduced to despair. We see it when a child is labeled as a loser or in our own misunderstanding of God's love when we see people demean or shame or ridicule other people on social media just because they don't agree with their views on whatever, literally from the pit of hell, because we are deceived in that moment where we are devaluing God's highest creation, one another. And Satan laughs. Why? Because he doesn't want us rebuilt. He doesn't want us renewed. He'd rather keep us functioning at a fleshly level instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our thinking, to transform our emotions, and transform our actions. So the result of the impact of his work, the result of his impact of his sin in our lives is incredible. It's in, we see it in broken bodies and ruined minds and perverted values and in poisoned attitudes. The Bible says that In these days we live in, evil is increasing. And I I know that it's tragic that we all get caught up, not necessarily in choices we have made, but just in the overall effect of sin. But can I tell you, as much as evil is increasing, the Bible is also clear, grace abounds even more. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit's desire to to bring about this abundant life in each of us. And and we know, we know, we talked about it earlier, that we have authority in the name of Jesus. And Satan understands that. His authority over us was broken when Christ became Lord of our lives. That's why the rebuilding process has to start with you must be born again. You you must make Jesus Christ your Lord. Surrender your life to him because it breaks the authority of Satan over you. But we also know that he's not about to stop his efforts to remove hope and to weaken confidence in the ultimate completion of our restoration. The book of Revelation, John the Revelator said in Revelation 12, 12, he said, therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Daniel prophesied centuries, centuries before what we are experiencing even now, where he said one of the goals of the enemy of Satan is this, and that is to literally oppress or wear out the saints. I know that for some you feel that. We live in that day where it seems like the pressure's mounting. It's increasing around us. But can I tell you this? I'm convinced that no matter how much evil increases, Jesus has called us to a life of triumph, a life of victory, and a life of power in his kingdom. His Holy Spirit is in us, and he's there to teach us and lead us, not only to be aware of the enemy's tactics, but be prepared to defeat him at every turn be prepared to not give him an inch not not give him in a place at all in our lives because the lord has not called us to futility but he's called us to victory now in this passage in Nehemiah we see again through Sanballat and Tobiah and the other list of the enemies uh, we we see this this focus of attack and in it we see how Satan tries to attack our rebuilding process. In fact, he Samblatt asked five questions. And in those questions, it gives us that imagery again of the areas of attack that Satan tends to flow through to try to disrupt the rebuilding of our lives. And so I want to just take these questions today, and I want to just highlight them because again, we have to know how he operates. But we also have to know that at the end, no matter what, he is defeated because what god did through his son jesus so let's start with this how does the enemy attack our rebuilding process number one he always will attack our weaknesses i mean look at the questions in verse two what are these feeble jews doing will they restore the wall these feeble jews you see sambalat knew their vulnerability and he enjoyed intimidating them understand that satan has nothing good in mind for anybody He is lamenting the fact that that until now, he had total control over their lives. Sambalat was in control until Nehemiah showed up. He had everything working to to his favor until Nehemiah showed up. In the same way, the moment you kneel before the Lord, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, and Satan knows his reign and his rule is over. It's been broken. That's what was taking place here. So he's coming against their vulnerabilities. He's coming against their weaknesses, trying to disrupt their thought of if this is even possible. But we have to remember again that when we're under attack, we're not alone. When, when, when the enemy comes against us, Paul says, remember this, he says, remember when we feel weak, remember we're strong, because God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for you and I, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. You, Satan, will always question our motives. He'll always try to create doubt. I mean, back in chapter 2, we read this in chapter 2, verse 19. It said, When Sambalat the Horonite, buy the Ammonite, official of the Geshem the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? He didn't care about the king. He wasn't worried about the king. All he was concerned about was his domination, his rule. Can I tell you, Satan will take any shred of truth and use it to dominate us into submission to a point where we do not expect God to do what God has promised. Think about it. He'll say things like this. Maybe you've heard them. Don't you know that God's not going to heal you? He wants you to be sick because then you'll trust him more than if you were well. Lie from the pit out. Oh, he'll get spiritual. It'll sound very churchy. He'll say to you, oh, don't you know that your mess is your testimony? Don't ask the Lord to change that because others need to, need to in- engage in your mess. No, no. I, God, God taking us out of our mess, God, God bringing us through our mess, that's a testimony. It's not the mess itself. He says things like, it's God's will for you to stay under undue stress in your job because after all, stress builds character. Listen. We need to take the lies and give them right back to him. We need to never doubt that God wants us to understand that he is taking us through to victory in our lives. He is rebuilding us. He is restoring us. And when we feel weak, press in. When we feel that attack that, that focuses on our inabilities, remember, our God is able. Our God is faithful. And he is great in a power and might and a desire. So again, Recognize the enemy's tactics, but stand in God's truth. I can do all things in Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. And there's a second area of attack we see in this story. You see it again in verse 2, and not only do we attack our weaknesses, but he will attack our worship. Listen to what he asked. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they, will they bring offerings? He was ridiculing the fact that they had rebuilt the temple, but the temple seemed to have no effect on their everyday life because 70 years had passed, and they still hadn't rebuilt the walls. Listen, Sambalat and the devil know something that, that we have to remind ourselves of. They know that when God's people worship him, real power is generated. Real power comes forth when we we worship God in in unity, in unison, and we come and we lift up our voices and we just honor God with all that we are. Can I tell you, even though the temple had been finished, they just weren't functioning. Even though they had the opportunity to worship, the goal of the enemy was to keep them vulnerable and threaten to disrupt their very worship. Some God you have. Look, look, look look at this. You have a temple, big deal. You don't even have walls. There's no gates. There's no rulership. Church, we got to claim our freedom and our boldness in worship before our God. We have access to him through Jesus Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. He enables us to bring a powerful worship to our God, whether we are gathered in person, whether we're in our car, our shower, going down the road, or right now in front of your computer screen or TV, we can lift up a praise to God, and Satan trembles because he knows there's power when God's people worship. You know, I can just picture Nehemiah speaking to them, I can just picture him saying, yes, yes, we've suffered shame. Yes, things are a mess. Yes, it could be better. But our God reigns. That doesn't change. And our hope and our faith is in him. So Lord, we worship you. So he'll attack our our weaknesses. He'll attack our worship. But he'll also attack the slowness of our progress. I shared last week, we we don't really like process. (laughs) We like instantaneous change. But rebuilding, renewing us takes time. And God is working through that time, using the, the things in us and through us to rebuild us, and Satan will attack that very thing. Will they finish in a day, he asked. So already he was sowing seeds of doubt like, it's been, it's been so long. So much time has passed. There is no progress. How can you even think you're going to finish? You've attempted this before. You thought of it a long time ago, but it's not going to happen now because it didn't happen then. You know, I, I hear that echoed when I speak to people sometimes. say, oh, I, I tried. Yeah, I gave God a shot. Oh, I used to go to church. I, I used to be engaged, but it just didn't work in me. Oh, can I tell you? We give up way too soon on God's process. Because one thing we forget, his process doesn't start until we stop trying to fix ourselves. His process doesn't start until we give up lordship of our own lives. And say to him, I can't do it, but through Christ, I can do all things. Church, come on. The process of restoration is messy. It's time-consuming. It doesn't always go in a straight line. We, we have the ups and downs of it. And Satan will try to attack and say, listen, you just, you're not going to make it. He'll try to attack and say, oh, it's taken too long. God doesn't care about you. He sows all these lies. And I tell you, we will be tempted if you're not careful to give up. It's natural. It's human. They did that. If you went on to verse 10, we didn't read that today. In verse 10, he says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we cannot build the wall. <laughs> I feel for Nehemiah. I feel for him as a leader. It's just a keep them focused, keep them moving, keep them believing that the truth is the truth, God is God, and if he said the walls will be rebuilt, they're going to be rebuilt. We have the Holy Spirit in us and we will overcome. Galatians 6, 9 in the New Testament gives us that same warning. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul the apostle wrote, let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Growing up, I, I, my mom was the church pianist, so I, I had a great uh, affinity for the hymns of the church and the chorus of the church. I mean, I just grew up always listening, hearing them. And, and my, one, probably one of my favorite at all times, just great is thy faithfulness. It's one that's sung occasionally even these days. And, the, and there's a line that says, He gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, to me. God is with us. Don't let Satan mess with you because it's taken longer than you thought Don't let him don't let him speak into your weaknesses and somehow erode your faith Don't don't let him come against your worship and and accuse you of not being worthy to worship god Or somehow guilting you into a place where you don't feel like you can lift your voice or your heart to god Listen, he will attack anywhere he can because he knows he's defeated his time is short stand fast recognize God is with you and allow the Holy Spirit to encourage you to keep moving forward. Because the last thing he does that we see in this story is this, he ridicules the very building materials of your life. He ridicules the very building materials of the process. Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? So what he's saying is what you're even trying to rebuild the wall with is not gonna happen. It's not gonna hold because it's so messed up. Tobiah even said this, that even a fox that walks across, it will make it crumble. You know, Nehemiah declared something that was so true. And I want you to hear it in terms for your life. He said, these walls will be rebuilt by reclaiming, retooling, restoring, and recovering the stones that once were deemed rubble. I know that all of us, have the past. All of us have rubble. All of us have things we regret. All of us have things we try to push away out of our lives. But I know this about my God, that God is not only able, he is willing to remove the pain of your past and draw the broken pieces of your life back together again in the restoration process to become something greater than it ever was before. Think about it. Jesus declared this. The prophet Isaiah prophesied it about him. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, to bind up the brokenhearted. Do you have that picture of your God? I think many people think God just kind of looks at their life and shakes his head in disgust and says, I can't look at that. I can't believe that happened. I, I can't believe you did that. No, he will bind up the brokenhearted. He can take all things, the Bible says, and he can work them together for our good. He didn't say they were good. There's a lot about our lives that are not good. He didn't call it good, but he says I can take all those things and I can bring them together and make good for you and through you. That's our God. And you think about it. When you study in the word of God, one of the things I love is that we see real people. And we see them exposed with real transparency. And people we consider heroes or great great warriors of the faith or the stories we know in the Bible were people that were just as as broken as we are, that had to be restored. And, and, we, and we see people like Abraham, the father of all nations, that didn't trust God on his journey, went to Egypt and lied about his wife. We see men like Jacob, who with his mother's help deceived his father. Moses, who took matters in his own hands when God put a calling on his life, and he killed the Egyptian, Gideon, who didn't trust. I mean, my goodness, an angel showing up in front of him, and he didn't even trust that, had to throw a fleece out there just to be sure it was God. Then Samson and David, they they had the lusts of the flesh that led to their downfalls. But in spite of what happened to them, in spite of what happened to you, in spite of what happened in my life, no matter what we've done, God is able to recover, reclaim, restore, renew, and rebuild whatever has been broken. And he will bring full restoration when we cooperate with this process, when we silence the attack of the enemy, and we stand strong in one way, strong in faith, but also totally dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. Because again, it is arrogant to believe that we can rebuild ourselves. It's arrogant to believe that we can somehow restore ourselves. No, it is an absolute work of God when we put our trust in the Holy Spirit. I believe God wants to restore our personality. I believe he wants to restore our character, our minds. Whatever part of us has been crushed, bruised, broken, stained, tarnished, whatever word you want to use to describe it, I believe it's God's will and his desire to do just that. He can and he will. So what do we do? We bring God our brokenness. I find many try to hide their brokenness. They're embarrassed. They're, they're ashamed. Bring God your brokenness. He, he already knows. Because one thing we always forget is he's always been with us. He's never left us. He didn't just one day discover us, or we didn't one day just discover him. He's been with us always. So bring him our brokenness. And in bringing him our brokenness, learn from the enemy's tactics. Learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. Learn the difference between the accusations of the enemy, the things meant to disrupt, the things meant to destroy, and the loving kindness of our Lord that will point out weakness. But when he points it out, he points out in a way to bring strength, not to intimidate or to destroy. You see, Satan is determined to destroy our confidence that any of these victories will or can ever happen. But through the word of God, we disarm him and, and we, we take away his power because we are now aware of his ways. When he ever says, Whenever he says it's not going to happen, it's not going to be done, it'll never get done, we don't, we don't need to accept that as an idea that, that somehow becomes part of our identity. No, it's a lie from the pit of the hell, from hell. Call it what it is. When you hear it's hopeless, too many things have been broken or burned in the past, recognize the source and shut it down. Use the words of Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Stand strong. You're a child of the king the Holy Spirit's in you. All things are possible for those that believe. These aren't trite sayings. They're building blocks of restoration that we must anchor our lives on, because Satan's not going to give up. He knows his time is short. He knows he's defeated. And if he can sideline you, he's won a victory. But I'm calling you to get in the game. Let God work in you, Let God finish his work. Faithful is he that began a work that he will also complete in us. So here's what I ask of you. Can we just take for a moment, we're going to do it together in communion, but before we even get there, can we just tell you the the very word hope that we love, we also named our church after that, hope is really the breath of the Holy Spirit. Breathe deeply in that. Breathe deeply in that. Because it's our hope that sustains us when the enemy attacks. It's our hope that keeps us focused. It's our hope that takes us to the truth. It's our hope that never backs up, even when it gets hard. Can I tell you, breathe deeply of the hope the Holy Spirit brings. Hope is yours and mine to keep. And when we have that, we know that we'll never be embarrassed by God for having put our hope in his grace. We'll never be embarrassed by that. We won't be made to be fools because His hope is something we cling to. And His hope is what brings us in because hope is born in the certainty that the Holy Spirit builds us up in the fact that our God is faithful. Oh, our restoration is at hand. The future's settled. We just need to engage. We just need to step in with confidence that everything God has promised us already exists. And all that remains for us to do is keep walking forward with Him until we come to the place where His promise is fulfilled. We see his reflection, and the world sees his reflection. You I tell you, culture needs to see God's reflection in the church. But the only way it sees his reflection is when we begin to walk and live and behave in the nature of the very founder of our faith, our God. That's the restoration work. Let God renew your mind. Let your thoughts be reflected by his word. Let him renew your attitudes towards God, towards life, towards others. Let him renew your tenacity that you will not be defeated. You will not go back, but you'll keep moving forward. And let him renew your hope. Because in that, we have the gentleness to live in the peace and the joy and the strength of our Lord. I love you guys. I love the work God's doing in you. I love the work I've watched him do in my life over these many years, and I have anticipation of the work to continue and grow. I know that, I, I thank God, none of us are done yet. He's working. We put our trust in him. I want to pray for you today, but can I challenge you in this? I've said it every time we've gathered through this medium to, to, to understand the story of Nehemiah. Rebuilding never comes without first rebirth. If you're watching today or you're listening on podcasts or YouTube, however you're engaging in this, and you've never put your trust in God, you've never surrendered your life. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you go to this church. Maybe you've been raised in a religious family, but you've never knelt your heart, your knee before the Lord and say, I surrender, become Lord of my life. Make that happen today. Make that happen today because that's where it begins. And in that moment, I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life, and the authority and the power of Satan is broken in that, in that moment invite him in we pray if you're one that has been walking with the lord a while or maybe some of the things i said today made a little cringe point in you maybe maybe you're seeing some things that you've allowed satan to deceive you in and you're like mike that hurts let it be the work of the holy spirit to say that's an area he wants to heal and restore but give it to him bring him your brokenness and trust our god is faithful he is for you not against you and what he has promised he will accomplish. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, that this day we stand in the grace of our Lord. We stand in the power of his Holy Spirit. And we stand in the truth that we serve a great God who loves us who did everything and gave everything that we may have a relationship with you, Lord. But not only that, Lord, you want rulership in our lives that we may walk this earth, oh God, empowered by your spirit, living in your truth, reflecting your glory in our words, our actions, God, in our, in our, in our thoughts and attitudes, God. So today, restore us. Lord, for the one that just today is kneeling before you and saying, become my Lord. God, meet them, Lord, as you've done. Meet them as you've done for billions over the centuries. Meet them in that moment with the personal love and grace you have for their lives. And Lord, let them understand that, Lord, just as much as we rejoice on earth, all of heaven rejoices because that was your purpose. They would come back into relationship. But then, Lord, engage them, Father, in rulership. God, engage us all in rulership, Lord, today. Father, errors or maybe we, we've sensed our weakness or we've sensed those things that, Lord, we're we not reflecting you, God. Lord, let us give you our brokenness even now, trusting you for our healing and our restoration. God, we love you. Father, we give you praise. It's in the name of Jesus we ask, amen. Amen. You know, every week we, we celebrate communion together, and I... I don't know about you, but I spend time just processing that. I'm like, God, help us, help us catch a fresh glimpse of what you want in this time where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because not only is it something you asked us to do, but, it, but it's something that, that literally connects us together. That's why even now in this time we're separated, I've been very careful. Let's have communion together because it connects us. It, it makes us one. It's a shared experience and I really believe that was a big part of the intent of Jesus when he implemented it with those who were close to him, with his friends, the disciples. Because it's the Lord's Supper, it, it is the means by which God works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. When we take the elements, when we take the, the bread and the juice and, and, we, and we walk through this ceremony, but we don't do it as a, as a religious activity. We do it as a part of our relationship with God. When we, when we do it, we get comforted. We get comforted by His Holy Spirit. There's something tangible. It feels right. It feels good when we recognize the body and the blood of Jesus. It reminds us of His love for us when we take the cup and remember that His blood was shed for our salvation. It assures us of God's faithfulness, that that He didn't put it on us. He didn't say, You go work, you go figure out your way of salvation. If If you get there, I'll let you know it. No, He made the way, and He made it very clear through the brokenness of his son, represented by the, by the bread and the, and the shedding of his blood. He confirms to us the salvation. He declares it to us in his word. And he works inwardly in our hearts because we come to the Lord's table by faith. In fact, that's why the Apostle Paul said we come with a, with a soberness. We, we reflect. We don't, just, we don't just come up like we're going a snack. No, we, we come and we examine our hearts. Not, not to pull out every sin and to, and to let Satan just demean us, but to recognize We're not perfect, but God is. We are weak, but he is strong. When we come with openness and we come with our brokenness, we expect healing and we respect cleansing. In fact, Paul, the apostle, probably clarified it best when he wrote to the Corinthian church trying to correct an abuse. They were having a difficulty how they did communion. And he said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Can I just bring this into today's message? <laughs> when you partake of this bread and when you drink of this cup, you're keeping your foot firmly planted on the head of Satan. You're keeping firmly planted on the enemy saying, uh-uh, <laughs> I overcome you by the word of the testimony and the blood of the lamb. So let me invite you. I hope you prepared. If you haven't, after this gathering, you, you can take time right there and just walk through this right where you are. God will meet you. But the word says he took bread and he broke it. He blessed it. So this is my body. I've always been moved by that. Isaiah the prophet made it clear that there was, there was something. He said, by his, by his wounds we are healed. I take that as a faith promise in areas of my life that are not whole, in areas of your life that are not whole. And I stand by faith saying, God, I know you're able. I know you're willing. God, bring healing today. So take of the bread. Father, thank you. Thank you. You provided all we need for life. God, I pray you strengthen us today. God, in our weakness, oh Lord, let us feel your touch right now. God, in our, in our need of healing, God, Lord, in this time of a, of a virus that is just wreaking havoc, oh God, and lives are being lost, God, bring healing, God. Today, we, we, we implore you, Father, so God, thank you for the bread, and God, we stand by faith and receive it with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Let's hold the cup before our lord we think of the blood of jesus as something that is not something not to be put to the side or not talked about it's it's the very power of life there's life in the blood and we recognize when we drink of the cup we're just saying lord what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of jesus thank you so god today bless the cup god bless whatever emblem we have in this father remind us god it was not the blood of sheep or goats oh god that purified us But it was the blood of your very Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that trickled out of his body, flowed forth, got down on the cross, dripped on the very ground we walk today to remind us, you are our way of salvation. You are the hope of our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Right where you are this morning, just open your arms. Let me speak a blessing over you. It's a theme verse of our church from the very beginning. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Have an amazing week. Let God work through you. And always remember, everyone you meet, see, talk to, engage with is somebody Jesus Christ died for and somebody he's asked you to love and impact their lives. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day.